This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. So we started a couple of weeks ago and we were talking, I was doing a, um, I was talking about land of the, uh, one nation under God. And so I want to continue the second half of that today. So we'll get into that and talk about it a little bit. Um, let me just get right into it because I've got a time issue. <laughs> okay. Okay, you can't look so stoic. Just smile. <laughs> this is not serious. This is actually a good one. I promise you. This is not serious. Well, it is serious, but it's good. So, we spoke last time about one nation under God. And an important part, an, an important principle, something that America has been founded on, is the land of the free. The land of the free. When we talk about the land of the free, anytime you talk about freedom, invariably what it means is it, it introduces us to the idea that people have the prerogative of choice. Freedom speaks about the opportunity to choose. No, this isn't the hard part. <laughs> this is the easy part. <laughs> I'll let you, you'll know when it's the hard part. The easy part, you can be like, ah, okay, I get that. It offers us choice. Choice is an important part. When we talk about freedom, we celebrate freedom, and we, we live in a nation that affords us the opportunity of choice. What I want to talk about today is I want to talk about choice and, and kind of set up choice and what choice is all about and give some kind of context to where I want to go. And then I'm going to talk about it from a spiritual point of view. And then I'm going to do a little bit of application in terms of who we are as a nation and why it's important. What I want to prove to you today and what I want to present is the hypothesis that we will never truly realize the fullness of who we are as a free nation unless it is in relationship with God. Now, I'm, not just, I'm going to give you evidence that proves it. How good is that, hey? All right. It's important because the thing about it is we live in a day and age where people want to, want to say, show me the money. Don't give me a theory. Everybody's got a theory about life. Everybody's got a hypothesis about how things should be. Show me the money. So I'm going to show you the money today. So we talk about freedom, and freedom is a most wonderful thing. One of the most wonderful things about freedom is the opportunity to choose. But something that's important about choice is we have a privilege to choose, but it comes with the responsibility of maturity. The privilege of choice comes with the responsibility of maturity. I don't allow my kids just to make whatever choices they randomly would like to choose. Why? Because they're young and they're growing. And my responsibility as a parent is to make investments into them so that ultimately they'll get to the place where they are mature enough in themselves that they're able to help make healthy, good, beneficial, prosperous decisions. Decisions that take them from where they were into a better place. So we have to be careful when we talk about just simply giving people the opportunity to sit and say, choose anything that you want. Because really, what we weren't expecting is for people to make any silly, dumb choice that they would like. Well, it's just not healthy as a society. I mean, there's certain choices you look at and say, that's not a good one, and it's not beneficial in many respects. This is still the easy part. <laughs> Stick with me. We are going somewhere, I promise. And so we look at that in that context, and something that, uh, that I want to talk about a little bit is it's such a big issue in the day and age in which we, we, we live, and it's the whole thing about how we feel about stuff. Yeah. 
Feelings are so big. They've taken on a gargantuan proportion in the society in which we find ourselves. And probably the ultimate expression of feelings is love. What is love all about in the context of free choice? And I, what I would propose to you is this. Love is very important because love always looks out for your well-being. Love always looks out for what's best for you. Love always takes you to a place where it presents you with the opportunity to step into newness, to step into freshness, to step into healing, to step into a place where my life is beginning to grow and expand, where I'm able to make meaningful contributions, where I'm able to be productive. The whole point about love is I want you to experience more than where you are right now. Any place that I see you, any place that leaves you in a place of deficit or compromise, I don't, that's not my ultimate for you. I'm wanting to take you somewhere. The thing about it is love does not indulge a reality that may be comfortable to our feelings, but ultimately is detrimental to who we are. We have a society right at the moment where we've done so much to usher in and how do you feel? We want to make sure that your feelings aren't threatened or your feelings aren't hurt. And the problem with it is all too often our feelings keep us locked in where we are, not where we're going. And so the problem with it is, is the more that we indulge feelings, the more we're sitting saying, I'm happy for you to live where you are, but I can't take you anywhere because it's going to rub against what's comfortable for you. We talk about loving people, but in reality, love is not measured by the degree to which I indulge who you are. Love is measured by the degree to which I'm prepared to sacrifice for you. If I truly love you, to what degree am I prepared to sacrifice for you? Greater love has no man, and he lay down his life. What Jesus is saying, I loved you so much, it came at the ultimate cost. You want to talk about love? I paid the ultimate price. Anybody else that tells you that they love you, can they equate it to the same level as what he's done? It's because he loves us. So in that context, it's really important that we understand when God comes into our environment and God presents us with opportunities and invitations, what he's saying is, understand that what I'm presenting to you and what I'm affording you is something that came at a price. This is just not some theory or some hypothesis. It's not just some philosophy about why I think you should, li you should live. What he's saying is, I understood where you were. I understood the choices that were available to you. And I recognized the fact that in order for me to be able to make a meaningful contribution to your life and take you to a place where you experience all that I have for you, it is going to cost me everything. So there is a maturing process that comes to making decisions. It becomes so important for us to begin to recognize stuff. I'm trying to give us practical hands-on material that we can use in our lives. It's not just like a nice speech or a good presentation. What I really want you to do is I want you to get together with the Holy Spirit and synthesize what's being presented in the set and say, Holy Spirit, what's relevant to me? If we just come in and say, well, that was really nice, but it doesn't impact my life, nothing changes. Maturity is so important. Maturity in terms of choices becomes so foundational. And the challenge with it is when we're young and when we're immature, we don't understand something called value. 
When we're young, we're so accustomed to indulging how we feel. What do babies do? I want that. And I'm not sharing. It's mine. Why? It's all about feelings based. I don't want you to take away something that, but everything is about me and how I feel. Do I feel good? Do I feel bad? And when I feel bad, I throw a tantrum. Why? Because I'm immature. But there is an expectation that as people grow and as people develop, we begin to step into a realm which is more maturity-based. And when we start to step into maturity, what it means is I begin to recognize the value of concepts. Concepts are presented to me and concepts present themselves as a value equation. The ultimate value equation is truth. What it says is, I see where you are and I understand where you are right now. And it might feel good and it may satisfy the way that you feel. But I want you to know something that ultimately the decisions you're making from that place are not healthy and are not leading you to fullness of life. And so here is something for you to take and to digest. Here is something that's going to invite you to step out of where you are into something new. Truth will never present itself to you as a feeling. Truth doesn't come as a feeling. Feelings originate in my current reality. Everything that I'm in right at the moment is going to give definition to how I feel. Truth is going to come to me when I'm locked in how I'm feeling, even if it's dysfunctional. It's comfortable for me. It doesn't matter. I may have made some life choices that are not good, but they feel good to me. Truth comes into that space and the truth, what it begins to do is truth sits and says, you know what, I have something more for you and I don't want you to live from the paradigm of how you feel because if you live from the paradigm of how you feel, you'll never be able to engage and experience what I'm offering you. Our feelings can leave us trapped where we are. When truth comes into that equation, it's going to rub up against it. It's going to rub up against how you feel. And so you might be in environments that make you feel uncomfortable. You might be in relationships that make you feel uncomfortable. The question is why? Why? What makes you uncomfortable about that? And from a spiritual point of view, the Holy Spirit will make you feel uncomfortable. Oh, but he's not loving. Oh, yes, he is. We could be stuck in our dysfunction and living a dysfunctional life, but I'm so merry in it because I'm feeling good. My life doesn't look very good. My choices don't ultimately result in life and fullness and health and abundance and success. But the thing about it is it feels good to me. It must be right. It must be right. Anytime we elevate our feelings to the place of ruling our lives, it'll come at the expense of our growth. You will stay trapped in that space. It'll come at the expense of your happiness. It'll come at the expense of your fulfillment. And it'll come at the expense of everything that God has provided for you. I can't live in the space where who I am and how I decide to live is determined by my feelings. God gave them to me and they're important, but I have to understand them in the context of who I am as a person.
I have to understand that there is balance in the way that God's given me to live my life. And those are nothing but supplementary aspects to who I am. They should never be a key driver of my life. One thing that I've discovered is the biggest wars you're going to wage in your life and some of the biggest battles you're going to wage in your life are not about an enemy outside of yourself, but it's going to be about the enemy inside of who you are. It pops up with regularity. And God speaks about it. He says, be not conformed. And we speak about be not conformed in church and everybody goes, glory be, no conforming here. Until I go outside and I feel certain ways. And because I feel that way, I start to move in that direction. And I live that way because I'm conforming to what my feelings tell me. Your feelings are all too often fed by your flesh, not by the spirit. So what ends up happening is they are invitations to conformity. I'm becoming worldly every time I listen to my feelings and just go with how I feel. The invitation that God sends to us is be not conformed. Don't let that give direction to your life. Don't let it give definition to who you are and how you live. Don't allow it into that space, but recognize the fact that you should be made new. You should be transformed. It has nothing to do with your feelings. It has everything to do with truth. Truth being birthed in who I am. Truth being birthed in who I am. And so we live in an interesting time and space because we have grown up and developed a culture and a society and a generation that is overtly feelings-oriented. So we have to have safe spaces. Why? Because somebody else's idea may be more than I can bear. So I need to move away from the world to a place of solitude where me and my ideas can lick our wounds. I don't like being in spaces where people think differently to I, who I am because I might get hurt. I might feel pain, emotional pain, at the fact that you think differently to me. You think that this is exaggerated. Go and listen to the news. People can't bear it. People can't tolerate it. People can't take it. The thing about it is we've elevated this to such a degree in society that people are overtly aware of how they feel and they feel entitled to be at a place where if you say something or express an idea that's different to who I am, I'm entitled to feel hurt. I'm entitled to look for a distance so that I can feel safe in that place. They are ideas. Ideas. Here's the truth. I can't afford to live in a fence. Because if I live in a fence, it'll come at the expense of my future. Anytime I live in a fence, a fence justifies me living removed from anything that I don't like. Anything that invites me into something new. Anything that shows me something which could want to take me out of my comfortable space, my safe space, my happy space. 
which means I will never step into my purpose because I want to live where I am. And I'm never going to realize my destiny because I want to live where I am. But I want the Holy Spirit to do something in my life, but he just has to work within this box of comfort. I can't afford to do that. And so it begins to practically introduce us to things that we talk about with regularity, but I don't think that we always recognize the significance and where they have practical application in, your li in our lives. What do you worship? What do you worship? What do you esteem as being valuable and of worth? My feelings or the Holy Spirit's invitation? It's easy to sit in church and say, hallelujah, Lord, we worship and praise you. But it comes, and that's where the rubber hits the road, is when I feel certain ways, and he's saying, what are you going to worship? You want to live in how you feel, or you want to embrace the truth that I'm offering you and step out of your comfort zone, and step out of that place where I feel safe, and step out of that place where it's all I've ever known into something new, something expansive. The opportunity is for us to decide what it is we want to do because he celebrates the fact that we live in the land of the free, and he understands that in the land of the free, I have the prerogative of presenting you with choice. I'm not telling you what to do, but I am going to tell you some stuff. We can't take sometimes Jesus' stuff. This is for all the people at the beach because then they can't hear and they don't know it's for them. We can't take Jesus' stuff. We think Jesus is meek and mild, sitting on a cloud with little cupids. Let me give you an idea as to who Jesus was. Read your Bible without your blinkers. Jesus is meeting with 5,000 people. And he says, here's my idea about life. And they said, well, we don't like it. We're out of here. And all 5,000 packed up and left. He didn't chase them and say, oh, I'm so sorry I wounded you. So sorry for the offense. Please come back. What did he do? He turns around and says to his disciples, do you want to go as well? We think that Jesus just wants to indulge our reality because we have a misplaced perception as to what love is. And Jesus says, I understand that if you stay in that place, I want you to know something. It's going to steal, kill, and destroy you. And you may not recognize it right now because you feel so good indulging my feelings. But I can tell you where that road's leading. What I'm telling you is this. That's where it's going to go. I'm not telling you that because I don't love you. I'm telling you that, that I love, because I loved you so much that I died so that you had an option. You didn't have an option until I came into the equation. You were stuck with what you had. I was stuck with where I was. And in our desire and in our quest, when we get to that place where we sit and say, I'm prepared to entertain something new. I'm prepared to have a look at what he's wanting to introduce me to. It's on that road that you'll meet the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is going to give you a tool to use that is designed to help you move from your limitations, 
our inadequacies, our inabilities, our hurts, and move us to a place that he wants us to. It's called faith. What he says is, I know where you are right now, and I know how comfortable you might be, and I understand that this might be a scary move, and I understand that it's moving into uncharted territories, and I know that you're moving into spaces that you've never been before, but I want you to know something. Here is something. I give you my word. Will you trust me? I'm going to give you some substance. I'm going to paint a vision for you of where it is that I want to take you. And what I'm going to give you is something that even though you can't see it, and even though you can't touch it, and even though you can't hold it, and even though you can't smell it, and even though you can't feel it, I want you to know something. If you grab hold of that and trust me, it'll pull you out from where you are, and it'll move you into something new. That's the point of faith. That's the role of faith in our lives every single day. Because when I'm trapped and I'm insecure, when I don't want to move into spaces that I've never been in before, I find myself in a place where I sit and say, I need you, Holy Spirit. Not only do I need you, but I need what you have for me. I need you to give me faith. I need for you to give me the courage and the confidence to trust you, to move out from the places that have kept me bondage so that I can experience freedom. Sarah and I have got a friend of ours, an acquaintance. We'll just call him S. <laughs> you know him? No, it's not. S. So S is, is an interesting person. Very, very smart. Doctor. Very achieved, very accomplished. But it's interesting. Because if you meet him, he is very cerebral and very rational and very functional and totally emotionally disconnected. Everything in his life is put into a place and is assimilated through function. It's all about understanding and reason. So, because I'm not connected to that side to who I am, because I'm not connected to an important part, my emotional quotient, what ends up happening is he operates and lives from a place of function. So he decided that he was not, he was dissatisfied in his marriage, and so he was just going to go and get out of the marriage. And there was a long, big discussion between him and his wife about, well, do you understand the implications of this? Not only for me, but we have kids that are involved in this. And his response was quite interesting. His response was, well, I've done the research on that. <laughs> I've done the research on that, and I've discovered that kids that are in divorce situations actually bounce back well, and they'll be fine. And so today, a number of years later, he has one son who has some recognizable behavioral issues. And he has an absolute hatred for his father. Because you weren't there when I needed you. You didn't put into my life what I needed 
and teaching me to be functional and teaching me to be a person who's just lives from a cerebral mindset didn't fill my heart and didn't do and give me what I needed in my growth and development as a child. I'm paraphrasing. He can't speak about this. That's what it is. And we begin to recognize something so important. When I'm not whole and complete in myself, the decisions that I make are not good decisions. They make sense to me. I'm comfortable with them. But they lead to stealing, killing, and destroying. So we had an interesting situation this week. We had an interesting sparring match between a senator and a professor. And it all started off, I'll give the paraphrased version, but basically there was discussion about what is the definition of a woman? I don't know how we can appoint a Supreme Court justice who can't answer what the definition of a woman is. I have no clue. Anyway. So it seems like a lot of people can't do that these days. <laughs> anyway, so the discussion was, what is the definition of a woman? And then it moved on to the whole thing about being a mother as opposed to being a birthing person. And so there was a big discussion about the whole thing. And, that, and it moved to the place where it escalated when finally the professor turned around and the professor said to the senator, I take offense at your questioning. You are transphobic. And I thought about that, and that's so interesting. Because, you know, if we talk about the land of the free, the land of the free means that we have the prerogative of choice. Choice comes inherently with the expectation of options. If you don't have options, you don't have choice. Are you with me? You know, okay, I can't sit and say to you, you have freedom of choice, here you go. You're not choosing. When God put Adam and Eve in the, ta- in the garden, he said, I want you to choose to love me. And you demonstrate your choices by what you, you have to elect to do that. And you can't elect to do that unless I give you a way out. So he put a tree in the garden and said, don't touch that. If you love me, don't touch it. Why? He gave them choice. They had options. People have options. That's the whole thing that goes with choice. The thing about choice is this. We live in a day and age where I begin to understand that what we begin to build our life on and what constitutes the foundation of who we are is going to determine how we very often respond to things. So when we build our life on truth, truth translates into stability and security and comfort, and I'm okay in that place. Kind of the equivalent of where the Bible speaks about build your house on the rock. And the amazing thing about when you start to build your house on the rock is I'm okay with the fact that you want to interrogate my position. I'm okay with that. Why? Because I'm secure and I'm solid in that. I can give you the answers that you need. I'm established. The problem with it is when people begin to build their life or life positions on something which is not truth, the problem with it is it becomes wobbly because your foundation isn't solid. And so what ends up happening is it's very difficult for me to actually weather the storm of interrogation 
Because when the storm of interrogation comes, all of a sudden I start to wobble and I start to recognize that there are big holes here and there are big gaps there and there are crevices over here and it's really not standing up. And so people who build their lives on that foundation have a tendency to do one thing when they're in an environment that they're uncomfortable with. It's bite. If I don't like it, I'll bite. The intention of biting is to intimidate you to shut up. What it means is, so I'll come back at you with a retort like, well, you're just homophobic. You're just transphobic. You are racist. You are fill in the blank. There are all kinds of labels that we throw at people. It's not healthy. Because the challenge with it is this. We talk about a society that is free. And in that environment, it becomes really important for the church to understand that we have the opportunity, in fact, we have the requirement to take not what you think and not you, what you believe into the environment and into the world, but we take him into the world. And when you take Christ into the world, it becomes an option. I can't be shut down because I don't think the way you do. And the challenge with it is this, we've started to create a society or society started to evolve into this whole area where if you don't think the way I do, if you don't embrace my ideology and my philosophy about things, then I shut you up and I label you as something. And if I label you as something, it puts me in a good place because what it means is, well, the media begin to shut you down. You shouldn't have that voice because you are fill in the blank. And social media begins to get rid of you of all their platforms. And so the only voice that we hear is we hear a single liberal voice coming through about most things. It's just not healthy. Now, I'm not about taking that away because we live in the land of the free. And so you need to have the prerogative to choose what you want to do. God gives each of us a prerogative. He doesn't force us to do certain things. But what he does is he presents us with options. Options become so vital and so important to us. The challenge with it is this. It's in the place of decision that theories and philosophies are going to come and encounter truth. And that's where the conflict is going to take place for each of us. And in those environments and in our own personal battles and struggles, we're going to have to make a choice as to what we're going to worship and where we're going to go. The thing about it is this. Although Jesus presents himself in our equation as truth, he never sits there as judge and critic of who we are. He presents himself as savior. What he always says to us is this. I know where you are. I know where you've been. Because as humanity is concerned, you may live in a different era and you may be more sophisticated and you may be modern and you may live in bigger houses and you may have a smarter phone and you may have access to more things that you've ever had before, but fundamentally you're still human. And as humans, you still struggle with the same things that they did in the garden. Really hasn't changed very much. And so we start to have a look at a different perspective about things. Oh, let me move along quickly. What becomes important from God's perspective is this. If I'm going to present something to you, I'm going to present something which is truthful. And in amongst that mix, you're going to be exposed to some other thinking that is not truthful. The thing about it is what, what separates what Christ offers us as opposed to everybody else is something called truth. 
It sounds so simple, but we, we live in a, a world that really doesn't like the idea that there is a single concept called truth. They like that there's actually a multitude of different variants or expressions of truth. That's not the case. That's not what God says. So there's a single expression of truth. And if there's a single expression of truth, everything that is not truth is a lie. I know that's so hard. My feelings are hurt. <laughs> Fortunately, we're all big and strong. The point is this, it brings up a whole discussion on something, which is a small little word, but it carries with it so much emotion. It's a little word called sin. Ooh. Now, it's interesting when we start to talk about sin because everybody's heard of sin. Everybody's got an idea about sin. Everybody's got a concept of sin. But it's really hard if you speak to most people and you say to them, can you give me a definition of sin? Nobody wants, everybody's looking straight ahead, like, don't ask me. <laughs> it becomes important for us to understand what sin is, and the reason for that is this. If we misdiagnose what sin is, we will mistreat it. Yeah. Yeah. Let me give you an example. If we have a legal mindset, we will begin to have a look at sin, and we'll say sin is about breaking the law. Well, if sin's about breaking the law, the problem with it is this. Romans chapter 6 verse 14 says we're no longer under law, but we're under grace. So the law isn't around anymore. So if the law is not around, sin can't really be defined by the law. The point is this. If we diagnose sin as being law-breaking, it means that we'll propose a remedy called law-keeping. So if we propose law keeping, we introduce people to a works program, which is of the flesh. You need to be a law keeper. Then we have other people who have a moral mindset. And people with a moral mindset say, well, anything that is sin is immoral. And once again, we have the same challenge. Because if we present the idea that sin is breaking a moral law or, or, or being immoral, Basically, the remedy that we would propose to them is you need to be a moral person. Once again, what we're saying is you need to change the way that you live and behave and your actions. We're introducing the fleshly component to who they are. How we act and ultimately what we do in our lives is, is significant. But I don't think that that's what sin is about. And so what I want to do is I think it's important for us to get some kind of definition as to what that is. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, all have, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. If you take the word sin there and you have a look at what it is in the Greek, it's a word that is, I can never pronounce this pesky word. I don't know why they didn't speak English back then. It would have been so much easier. Hamatano, Hamatano, Hamatano. What Hamatano means is to miss the mark and lose the prize. To miss the mark and lose the prize. So what it's saying to us is this. 
sin is when we miss the mark and we don't get to live the God life. God has divine life. I don't. God is good and perfect and whole and complete. I am broken and wounded and incomplete. As long as I live from myself and who I am, I'll never be able to realize the fullness of what God has to offer me. Divine life, life of a superior nature. I can't do it in and of myself. I always fall short of the mark and it costs me the prize. If you read Romans chapter 3 and verse 24, it gives us the remedy for that. I'm going to read it out of the NIV. For, uh, blah, 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 blah. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. The sinful life is what I have. The divine life is what he offers. As long as I'm trying to live by the flesh, the problem with it is I'll never realize the full life that he has available to me. He's made it available to me through Christ. So what he's saying is your best efforts at doing what you want, your best efforts at making yourself righteous and justified and whole and complete and living from a place where you make the best decisions, your best actions are always going to fall short of the mark. And every time they fall short of the mark, you're going to miss the prize, which is the life that he offers us. So what he's provided for us is Christ. Christ came and through grace becomes the substitute so that he makes up the difference between where you are and the God life that's available. That's what it's about. So when we were in a place where I was a sinner, but I became saved by grace. And as a result of that, I moved to a place where I became righteous, not because of my works, not because of anything I did, but because of who Jesus was and what he provided for me. Everything that he did moved me into that place. It's as a result of sitting saying, I can't do this in myself. I can't reach there in my feelings. I can't get there by my own works. I can't get there through my flesh. I recognize the fact that I need a savior, Jesus. And he comes in. And he takes me from where I am. And he introduces me to life of a superior nature. And all of a sudden, what ends up happening is I become a new creation in Christ. I become brand new. Everything on the inside of me is defined by the very nature of God. But you know what? He loves you so much. He said, it's not just enough for you to have my nature living on the inside of you. It's not just enough for you to be justified. I'm going to introduce you to something else called sanctification. And sanctification is this, I'm brand new on the inside and I have the life of Christ on the inside. But as I began walking out my Christianity, I begin to recognize areas of my life where there are deficits, the areas of my life that are not whole, the areas of life that have never been affirmed and growing, there are areas in my life where I feel incomplete. I feel stuck in those areas. And he says, I want for you to not just know about life of a superior nature, I want for you to experience it. The whole point is that he makes provision in that space so that every time I recognize a shortfall in who I am, I can go and say, Holy Spirit, you know what? I'm missing the mark. I'm looking for the prize, but I can't get there by myself. I can't get to where you need me to be. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to take by grace what Christ has provided for me and move me into that space. 
That's what our lifestyle of sanctification is all about. People get scared of big words. We shouldn't use big words in the Bible because they scare people. But it's a big word, but that's all it means. What it means is the Holy Spirit is there to lead you and to guide you into the fullness and life of a superior nature that he provides for us. Sin and disobedience are the fruit of distrust. Missing the mark and not gaining the prize. And disobedience are the fruit of distrust. In the Garden of Eden, what happened was God promised and Adam and Eve lived from the fullness of everything that God had provided for them. But they felt that God was holding out on them. And because they distrusted God, they made a decision to go off independently of God and do their own thing. And when they did that, what ended up happening is it cost them. But they set the benchmark for humanity. And from that day forward, we feel so comfortable being self-reliant. Most people live from that place of self-reliance. I can do this. I can make it happen. I can get my life to where I need it to be. The challenge with it is this. Very often we discover that there are places in our lives where we can't do that. And the Holy Spirit is there to be able to take us and move us into God's provision and the prize, life of a superior nature. So what is the definition of sin? Sin, I believe, is living a life that trusts in self and doesn't make accommodation for the realities of God. Sin is living from self and not accommodating or recognizing what God has provided for me. If I look at that context, what it means is not everybody who does bad things is a sinner. Sometimes people who do good things are sinners as well. There are good sinners and bad sinners. What keeps them in common is that they're both sinners. A sinner is somebody who sits and says, I don't need you. I don't need salvation. I can get there by myself. I don't need you to give definition to my life. I can get there by myself. I don't need you to touch my healing and uh, those places where I'm not whole and I'm not complete. I can get there by myself. What ends up happening is when I live from those places, my life shows the fruit of decisions that are not whole and not complete. So what does this mean for us in an American context? And I've got 19 seconds. What does it mean for us in an American context? What it means is this. I believe that the land of the free only realizes its full potential and its ultimate expression as long as it's married to one nation under God. The land of the free only manages, uh, only realizes its full value when it's, once it's married to one nation under God. Why? Because there really are two types of freedom. You see, there's a legal freedom which you're entitled to as a citizen. As a citizen, you can live here and you're entitled to freedom. You're entitled to make any silly choice you may choose because it's a legal opportunity that's available to you. But it's not just about a legal right. What I've been trying to show you is that there's also an innate freedom. 
that goes down to each individual. And the fact of the matter is, if I'm not free in myself, if I'm not whole in myself, if I'm not complete in myself, the decisions that I make, although I'm free to do them, are not always good ones. And so what ends up happening is, it affects me, it affects my life, it affects my family, and it affects my world. And so what we begin to realize is that in that context, it really becomes important for us to have both of those elements and both of those freedoms that come together cohesively. But is that true? Of course it is. So, one of the biggest things that we have nowadays is there's so much confusion around gender. And the reason that I touch on it for a number of times is because it's something that is actively being propagated in schools. And they're speaking to young children in their formative years who are trying to get definition and presenting them with options that were never there historically. The challenge with it is this. Is it true that that is a way that you should go? Is it a healthy way to go that is whole and complete? I'm not telling you what I say, okay? I'm just going to say this is what Jesus said. If you don't like it, go and argue with the Bible. What he's saying is I'm just going to tell you what my truth is. You can live any way you like. What he says is no. He says, I've got a plan and a purpose, and you were born the way that you were born for a reason. And the thing about it is, if you're disconnected from who you are fundamentally in terms of your genes, the thing about it is, God is there. Because he, sat and he says, you know what? You may be looking at a place and you sit and say, I'm not able to fill that gap. And I'm not able to realize the prize of realizing fully who I am and what I'm all about. And he says, I'm so glad you're looking for me. Because you know what? I can do that for you. I can do it for you. But does it work outside of God? Do you know that the average, on average, 1.7% of people in society take their own life? 1.7%. Do you know that in the trans community, it's over 20%? You think it's a healthy solution for people? Do you think it's a good way to raise our kids and, and suggest, you know what, here's a healthy alternative for you? God's way is always better. He doesn't criticize us where we are. He'll meet you as a savior. I want to give you another example, but before I do, let me just say this. The church is not a gated community. It's not an exclusive little club that we stay here and nobody else is. I don't care who you are, what you believe, what you think, how you live, how you define yourself. Come on in. Come on in. Why? Because in this place, it's between you running your race. You're running your race. And your issues may be more self-evident than what other people are dealing with. But we've all got stuff. But it's in this space where we are, we're given the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to begin to present truth to us. And to, be, and to begin to invite us into new ways of living. That's the whole purpose of church. So there's, here's another idea. There's another reason. So the thing about it is there's a big move and there are lots of people swept up in the whole idea about we should be a socialist country. Now, I'll tell you why I struggle with socialism. We've had people who, I said I don't believe in socialism and they were like, fine, I'm leaving. So, okay. You can't, don't live in a fence. It's there for a reason. 
And even if you don't believe to what I'm saying, it's fine. Just be mature enough to be like, gee, you know, Holy Spirit help him. Boy, was he off the tracks. So there's a, the whole idea about socialism. Socialism is built on a materialistic viewpoint towards life. What, what socialism says is this. It says all of the big issues in life are really as a result of a disparity in wealth. So people suffer because they are disproportionately they disproportionately do not have wealth, but the salvation for everybody is the redistribution of wealth. So what it basically says is materialism will fix all issues in society. I'm just telling what they say. I mean, it doesn't work. And I'll prove to you how it doesn't work. I'm glad you're all seated because I couldn't believe this when I saw this. Last year, state, local, and federal government spent 2.4 trillion, I'm talking T, trillion, on social programs. Trillion! Now let me give you a perspective as to how much money that is. There are 195 countries in the world. If our social spending happened to be a country with a GDP of 2.4 trillion, it would make it the eighth largest economy in the world. 195 countries, it would be number eight. That is how much money this country spent last year on social programs. And you know what, that's one year spending. You would imagine if we were spending the gross domestic product of the eighth largest country in the world on social programs, we would be in a much better place than where we are. But you know what? It's an empty bucket, a bottomless bucket. You just keep pouring in every year. It just keeps going in. Why? Let me just say something here. I'm all about helping people. I'm not hard, I'm not callous, I'm not, but what, I'm, what I am presenting is this. I don't think that you can help people from a material point of view if you can't give them a spiritual um, alternative as well. You see, the problem with it is a socialistic viewpoint because it's materialistic in nature is very different to a Christian viewpoint which says, yes, we recognize the material world, but we also recognize the non-material world. And what we understand is the fact that most problems are not as a result of the material world, but are spiritually related. As a result of that, actually, most people struggle in life because their choices have missed the mark and they haven't been able to achieve the prize. And as a result of that, what ends up happening is it's pointless throwing money at them because it doesn't change them. What ends up happening is it goes into the same situation. And year after year, we just keep forking over the eighth largest economy in the world to try and feed this monster. What Jesus says is, I am the solution. Your, your solution is in salvation. The point is this, I'm all about helping people and I'm all about 
giving them the best opportunity. And I'm all about taking investment and sitting saying, you know what? You're committed to doing something with your life. How can we help you? How can we get some traction there? How can we move you forward in those things? The point that I'm trying to make is this. If we talk about an America moving forward that is to the exclusion of God, that is what we face. Because the problem with it is there's no solution purely in material things or finances. Salvation is in Christ alone. Life of a superior nature is going to be found in Christ. And when you get hold of Christ and you allow him to come into your life, I want you to know he's going to unsettle your things a little bit. And yes, if you've been raised in a very dysfunctional environment, it's going to be very uncomfortable for you. Not for no reason, but it's because he loves you. And he says, if you keep staying in that place, look at the decisions you're making. They're not getting you anywhere. Give me the opportunity to pull you out into those places. Give me the opportunity to push you out of where you are into something new because it'll give you the opportunity to be a, begin to move into the fullness of life that I have for you. Amen. Life with God is practical and it's exciting. It's going to rub you the wrong way and it's for a reason. It's not because he doesn't love you. It's because he loves you so much. He's like, wake up. So I've got two speakers coming in the next couple of weeks because I'm actually going off to go and relax so they can all talk about me as a beach person. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to encourage you to come because there's some good things that you're going to get out of that. But when I get back, um, I'm excited because I've been thinking about and I feel as though what I want to do is I want to kind of take who we are fundamentally as people what is that all about and what does it look like? And what is God's plan for how we live? And I want to get back to the fundamentals. There's something that is intrinsically different about who we are as man that distinguishes us from all other beings, including God. Now you're, now you're paying attention. Man is the only being that is both natural and spiritual. We have a spiritual component to us and we live in a natural world. God is spirit. The world we're in is natural. Man is the only one that lives in two realms simultaneously. It's that way intentionally. The problem with it is, I think very often, we're so comfortable in the one realm that we don't really fully understand what this realm is supposed to do and how I access it and why it's, why it's really there. And so I want to get down to the fundamentals of, I, I believe it's important for us as a, as, a, as a body because God is preparing us to be salt and light, which is not about me, it's about him through me. So I, I think it's important for us to get that grid together so that we can step into what our purpose is with meaning. Holy Spirit, you're just so, so good to us. Jesus, we want to thank you for what you did and we want to thank you for the price that you paid because you loved us so much. I pray, Father, for every single person here. I pray, Father, that as they encounter those places in their life where they may feel uncomfortable and where their emotions may be in disruption, I pray that you'll give them the insight to be able to gain a vision and a view of that space that comes from you. I want to thank you for offering us life of a superior nature.
I want to thank you for the provision that you've made for that. And I want to thank you that not only have you made that provision, but you meet us and invite us into that space and take us by the hand and walk us into it. I thank you, Father, for people who are courageous, people who have a desire and a purpose to seek out who you are, not only for who they are, but also how they live their lives. I want to thank you for change. I want to thank you for transformation. I thank you that you're building up a peculiar people, a people who resonate and a people who shout salt and light, a people who move out into the world and advertise you. Bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.